Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Well, you know, uh, one week from today, it's hard to believe, one week today is going to be the anniversary, yet another anniversary of the 9-11 attack on the Twin Towers. How many of you remember where you were? And one of the things that I remember hearing a lot of is a question similar to a question that I hear about a lot of other things, and that is, why did God do this? Why did God allow this to happen? Why did God do this? I've had people, I've had people come up to me, issues in their lives, and they'll say, why, does, why did God do this to me? So we want to ask the question tonight, why does God do things, or does he? And more than an opinion, what we really need to know is what God says in his word. So let's, let's, start, for, let's start with this. Does God make everything happen? Well, the short answer to that is no. No, he doesn't. Prove that to me, Steve. Well, you know, God is all-powerful. He's sovereign. He does what he wants to do. But there are things that happen in this world that God didn't do and God isn't happy about doing. So, for example, in the Garden of Eden, God said, don't eat of that fruit because if you do, you're going to die. Now, did God make Adam and Eve eat that fruit? No. So does God do everything? Does God make everything happen? No. But does God make some things happen? Does he make anything happen? The answer to that is yes, he does. Here are a couple of examples. In creation, Genesis 2.21, it says, so the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And you know the rest of the story. He took his rib and he made Eve. But he caused that to happen. God did that. In Joseph's life, Joseph sold by his brothers and went to prison and finally serving in Egypt. And it says, before long, in Genesis 39, the warden put Joseph in charge of all of the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So God caused Joseph to be a winner, to be successful. God caused that. As Israel prepared to enter the promised land, it says in Exodus 23, God said, I will, don't you worry about a thing. I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all those people whose lands you invade. I will make all your enemies turn and run. Does God do some things? Yes, he does. But does God do everything? No. God is not responsible for everything. Some things are the result of sin. Some things are the result of choices. But God is there in the midst of them. So tonight I want to tell you something, and then we're going to spend a a little bit of time, probably the next three hours, uh, with some Scripture verses uh, helping you understand that. Because here's the big point. And I made this in Sunday school, but you weren't all there, and so this is for you. God causes some things, but God uses all things. That's one of the great hopes that we have in this life. God causes some things, and God, but God uses all things. One of the most common verses that we have, but you, you, you dare not read over it or think too lightly of it. It's there in your notes, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything, everything meaning the good things and the bad things, the things he causes and the things that he doesn't. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. Uses them for what? For our good. And God does those things that directly contribute to his purpose for us. 
So it's not just that he does things and he hopes that you like it and he hopes that you have a great life, but he does things that he uses everything for our good and he uses them in such a way that they fulfill and accomplish his purpose for us. What is his purpose for us? I'm glad you asked that question. God's purpose for us in a nutshell is to save us, to transform us, to make us like Jesus, and to redeem us or restore us, to to take the brokenness of our life, to take the things that sin has damaged, and to fix it. And one day, not only will we be fixed and will we be redeemed, but everything that God created will. Take a look at Matthew 19, 28. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, he's speaking of a specific time, brothers and sisters, when the world is going to be made new, everything. When the world and the heavens are made new, when they're renewed, when they're regenerated, and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers, and the rest of my notes went away. I do have it. You who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, this is for you and me, by the way, this part, Everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return. Guys, that's redemption. That's getting something back that was given up and will inherit eternal life. Boy, all this and heaven too. Isn't that wonderful? That's that's God's plan. That's God's purpose for us. Revelation 21 talks about it just a little bit more. And it says, and the one sitting on the throne said, look... I am making everything new. That's redemption. That's restoration. And then he said to me, just so we would be sure to get it, write this down for what I'm telling you is trustworthy and true. So salvation, transformation, redemption, restoration, we tend to compartmentalize all of those things together. But it's actually a process, a timeline that God has for all things. He saves us transforms us into Christ's likeness, and one day will totally redeem and make new all that there is about us. That's his plan for us. So, for example, then, part of that process, to make that process happen, God uses, remember, he doesn't always make things happen, but he uses everything that happen, happens. God uses, doesn't necessarily cause. Let's use the example of suffering for our good and so that his purpose can be fulfilled in our lives. I know there's a lot of verses tonight. It's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them quickly, but you'll get the point as we go through them. So, for example, suffering brings about patience, godly character, and hope. Those things are born from suffering. Romans 5 says, We can rejoice, too, that when we run into problems and trials and suffering, for we know that they help us to develop Endurance, it's for our good. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So this whole process, all of the trials and tribulations that that we go through, God doesn't necessarily cause, but he does use them for our good and to accomplish his purpose. Suffering also can help us with compassion. Compassion is born of suffering. Most people who lack compassion just need God to give them a, a good dose of suffering in their life. That's how you learn it. Now, do, are you willing to go through suffering in order to get compassion? I'd rather not, but I have to tell you, compassion is something that everybody needs if we're going to be like Christ. And the way God does that in your life and in my life is through suffering. 
2 Corinthians 1.3. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Now, how many of you really would be willing to endure a little bit of suffering in order to acquire some compassion so that you can give compassion and comfort to somebody else? Would you be willing to do that? I don't want to do it. But it's one of the things God says, don't you worry, Steve. Some of the suffering I'm asking you to walk through, I'm going to use it to accomplish my purpose in you. It's going to transform you into a compassionate person, and it's going to allow me to minister compassion through you to other people. That's actually not a bad deal, is it? Suffering allows the life of Christ to be manifested through my mortal flesh, through our mortal flesh. Second Corinthians, Paul says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We're pressed on all sides by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. Somebody in this place needs to hear this tonight. We are never abandoned by God, even in those times of being hunted down and crushed. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be made evident in our dying bodies. There's a purpose for that. What does that mean? What, what does Paul mean when he says that? Because I don't know about you. I know I'm going to die one day. I'd rather it not be today. And I'd rather not have to go through that. But Paul wants us to understand there's purpose. There's purpose in our suffering and in suffering that leads to death. Paul is an earthen vessel and his life and dying point to Christ. When we preach a sermon, uh, one of the things we talk about is when, when, uh, when Proverbs says it's, it's better to go to a funeral than a party because everybody's going to die and the living ought to think about that from time to time. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? So, so everything is an opportunity for me to display the goodness and the glory of God, even in my suffering and the suffering that leads to death. My suffering reminds people about Christ's suffering. That's what we talk about when we're at a funeral. And, and so there's purpose in that. There's a reason for that. The, there's a theologian, uh, he's an author and a professor, his name is uh, Anthony Harvey. And here's what he says, and I'll, I'll try to read this slow enough. It's a little, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of big words in there, but I hope that you get it. Physical debility and decay, instead of being in apparent contradiction to the promise of life proclaimed in the gospel, are now found to be a means by which the believer identifies with Jesus in his final hours of dying, and so makes manifest or real the new life, which was the consequence of that death. Christ's death and our death point to the new life that's waiting for us. God uses our suffering and even our death in our body in order to be glorified. There's a purpose, and he allows those things to happen for a purpose. Suffering bankrupts us is the next point, and it makes us dependent on God. It takes away stuff that I got and makes me depend on God. Second Corinthians, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now Paul says, I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ 
can work through me. So does, does God cause me to suffer all the time? No. But does he use it? Can he use it to, so that I can show the power of Christ through my suffering? Absolutely. Psalm, Psalm 68 says, praise the Lord. Praise God, our Savior. For each day, he carries us in his arms. I am, I, uh, uh, suffering bankrupts me so that I understand that every day I'm carried in the arms of Jesus. Suffering causes us to discipline our minds by making us focus our hope on the grace to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus. Take a look at 1 Peter 1. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Your suffering will help to reveal the greatness and the glory of God when Jesus comes. Suffering reminds us of the shortness of life, the brevity of life, and it teaches us to number our days. Friends, I don't, I don't know if you figured it out yet or not. We don't get to stay here a long time. We my, one of my favorite lines is a movie, Meet Joe Black. It's about the angel of death, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a remake. It's, it's not new anymore on Death Takes a Holiday. But, but the guy, uh, Anthony Hopkins, at the end, he's, he's celebrating his 65th birthday, and the Grim Reaper is going to be meeting him right after his party. And he says one of the most poignant lines to me. He's talking to his friends and he talks about all the good things. And then he says, 65 years, don't they go by in a blink? And they do, don't they? They do. And so suffering and death help us to remember that this life is short and that what we do for Christ, we've got to do quickly. And we don't get to stay here. So we we build our life on the life to come and not on this life. It reminds us of our brevity. Psalm 90:10. 70 years are given to us Some even live to be 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble, and soon they disappear and they fly away. Dropping down to verse 12, so teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. God uses that kind of suffering in order to further what it is that he wants to do. Relationships are struggled and are are built on struggles and suffering. What you struggle with together, with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, are the things that bond you even closer together. Great example of that are, are men in the army, right? Band of brothers, that whole thing. They're in a foxhole and somehow they're, they're fighting together and they're surviving together and they're watching out for one another and they're, they're in the struggle together. And when it's over, they remain brothers forever. So, so God uses the, even those kinds of struggles to, to bring us together, to strengthen relationships. And might I tell you that even though your marriage may sometimes feel like a war, the principle is the same. The struggles that you walk through together will strengthen your bond and will actually bring you closer together if you will walk through it God's way. Revelation 1.9, John says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom, and in the patient endurance that Jesus calls to us. Struggling will, will help us and strengthen us in our relationships. Galatians 6.2, this is why he tells us to do it. Walk together, share one another's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love your neighbor like yourself. So there's good that comes of this. God doesn't necessarily cause it, but he will always use it for our good and to bring his purposes about. By sharing with the struggles of one another, we are modeling the love of Jesus. Sometimes people just need you to be Jesus in flesh to them. I, I love it. I, I, I appreciate it. I don't, I don't know if JP is here tonight, but JP White, 
walks all around on Sunday mornings, and he loves to give people, women especially, appropriately, no, that could sound bad, but, but, he, but, he, but he loves to give them hugs because how many of you, well, you don't have to raise your hand. Aren't there a bunch of people in here you could just use a hug once in a while? Yeah, and JP, that's kind of his ministry, and I promise you, I've watched him. He's, it's fine, it, it's appropriate, but, but in those moments when he does that, He's, he's Jesus to people when he does that. And, and so that's one of the things when we, when we share in the struggles of others and when we comfort one another and help one another, we're modeling the love of Christ. And so will God use the struggles of another person so we can be Jesus to them? Absolutely, as Isaiah 53. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God and a punishment for his own sins. Then read that sentence backwards. But... It was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Friends, sometimes when we are struggling and suffering, it allows us to enter into the struggle and the suffering of others and be Jesus to them as we walk through those things together. Suffering teaches us that the greatest good of the Christian life is not the absence of pain, not living in the lap of luxury, but in Christ-likeness. Romans 8.28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's you and me. Everything that Jesus did and went ahead of us with is what we get to look forward to. He's the firstborn of all of the rest of us. And what he did impacts our life. And suffering teaches us that the greatest thing is not the absence of pain, but the greatest thing is to become like Christ. And then lastly in your notes, God is not concerned about your comfort. Sorry, I wish that he was. And I love times of comfort, but God is more concerned about your redemption. God is committed to saving you, forgiving you, transforming you into the likeness of Christ, and then redeeming your life. In the end, bringing everything back, restoring all things. So God's use of suffering in our life has everything to do with his plan for our transformation. Adam Hamilton is a pastor of the largest Methodist church in the country. Here's what he says. Suffering is not God's desire for us, It's not that he wants that, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to each of us uh, uh, for any other reason but that through it we may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes, but sometimes through suffering his purposes are achieved. Suffering can either destroy us or it can add meaning to our lives. So does God cause all suffering? No. But will God use all suffering for our good and to accomplish his purpose? Yes. And so it goes for so many other things that God does. Here's the big deal. All of this has to do with the end of that progression that I told you, to save us, to transform us, and then to redeem us. Everything that God purposes in our lives is so that we will one day experience the redemption that he has for us. God's plan is always redemptive because God, by his nature, is redemptive. He's constantly calling us back. How do you know that, Steve? Because at the end of the wandering, the 40-year wandering of the wilderness, came the promised land. 
at the end of the suffering that Job had came restoration. The Bible says he had more than he started out with. Now, we don't always get more than we started out with, but, but God is a God who, in the end, restores us and redeems us. That's what he has an example for us. How do I know that God is a God who restores? We're in the final stretch. Don't worry. Take a look at your verses there. What, what are some of the things that God redeems and restores that show us that he's a God of redemption? How about lost years? Joel 2. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people will never again be put to shame. God is a God of restoration for his people. That's who he is and that's what he does. How about health? Jeremiah 30, 17. Some of you need to hear this tonight. For I will restore health to you and your wounds will heal, declares the Lord. How about hope? God restores hope. Zechariah 9, 12. Return to your stronghold, O prisoner of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Jeremiah 29. Familiar verse, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. How much more redemption and restoration can there be than that? God can restore your joy. He's a God who restores joy. Psalm 51, David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. God can restore reputations. He did for his people. Isaiah 61 says, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion and have everlasting joy. Your reputation can be restored by God. He's a God who restores. How about sinlessness? How many of you are looking forward to the day when sinlessness is restored to you? Wait, Steve, I never had sinlessness. Adam and Eve did. And ever since that happened back then, we have been slaves to sin along with them. But the good news is that what they had in that day will be restored to us on that great day when God restores all things. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that. Three of you, okay, that's all right. Sinlessness, the Bible says, repent therefore and turn again, turn away from your sin that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Friends, that's part of God's purpose and plan for you. How about fortunes? How about finances? Job 42, we talked about him already. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Why? Because he's a God who restores. He's a God of redemption. How about strength? 1 Peter 5, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will again restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you He restores life. Psalm 119, I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Psalm 71, you've allowed me to suffer much hardship. There it is. But you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. Did you notice? All of these things are things that the world takes away from you. God doesn't necessarily cause these things to happen, but they happen. But God, who uses all things for our good and to to accomplish his purpose for us, uses them to do exactly that. That's why Paul said of the God whose plan to redeem and restore, 
because it's his nature said in 2 Corinthians, for our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Like Anthony Hopkins said, they'll go by in a blink. And yet, those sufferings, those troubles produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs and will uh, outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we can't yet see, those are the things that will last forever. Friends, that's where we're headed. So does God cause everything bad and good? No. Does God cause some things? Yes. Then what's our hope? That God will use everything to bring about good in our life and to accomplish his purpose in our life. So let me ask you, what are you going through tonight? What's your suffering? What's your struggle? What's God wanting to use in your life? Didn't necessarily cause it. Might be because of your own bad choices. Might be because of the bad choices of someone else. May have nothing to do with nothing. But God wants to use them for your good and for your glory. God causes some things. He uses all things to bring about good. And his plan is to save us and to transform us and one day to redeem and restore us. Romans 8, 35 says, who or what will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or suffering or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all of those things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, tonight I want to give you a little ray of hope that your struggles and your suffering are not in vain, They are not necessarily caused by God, but if you'll let him, and if you'll just go along for the ride, God will use them to produce great and wonderful things in your life and equip you and enable you to do those great and wonderful things for others as his representative as we share our life together and walk together in Christ-likeness and in being transformed and one day redeemed by the Lord. Will you bow your heads with me tonight? Father, many of us in this place have walked through struggles. We've walked through days of sunshine, and we've walked through days of rain. But we know, Lord, that your promise is that through all of those times, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And so we can walk through those days knowing that you are present, that you will strengthen us, that you will help us, and more importantly, that you will use those struggles that we encounter for good. God, what we want to do right now is to release all of those things to you and ask you to use them for our good and ask you to use them in our life to accomplish the purpose that you have for us, which is to save us, to transform us, and to restore and redeem us. Lord, may your will be accomplished through all of these things. We submit to it today, and we thank you that you are for us and not against us, that it is your desire to make us like Christ so that we may walk in the blessings and the joy of the Lord. God, do that tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. 
If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.